Do you want me to go and um, shave my beard off and pretend to be uh, <laughs> awesome? Nice. Just put the Zoom video correction at maximum. Right? <laughs> awesome. Takes like twenty years off your life. <laughs> oh wait a second, we've done that. That's a there's a snap camera filter for that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The baby, the baby filter. No, there's a filter that's it's called a de-bearding filter or something like that. And it takes off all the beard and mustache and just leaves your face like a baby face. Yeah. Oh oh. Isn't that button number six on your uh, on your ATM mini? I've had it turned on before. It's a little creepy, but it works. <laughs> oh my gosh. And this is my favorite, um, by the way. Hold on a second here. This one. This oh. is my favorite. <laughs> Oh. This just cracks me up. I mean, because you know, I got all the audio, but uh, oh my god, it's I, freaky. Yeah, it is kind of freaky. And it, I mean, the thing is, what what I think sells this is that the ears come in front of my headphones, and so yeah. it really does that three D effect. It really does. I mean, and you can kind of see my glasses, so you know it's still yeah. Phil back there. So. Yeah. <laughs> the, the things the pandemic taught us. <laughs> oh no doubt about it. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So here's the um. Here's the remove beard one. Oh, my God. I mean, oh wow. That's incredible. That's just goofy weird, right? I'm Chris Lockhart. Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. Uh, I am joined today by Phil Yanoff, uh, Wendy Keen, Oliver Cronk, and special guest Ian Lang. Um, we uh, we wanted to talk about um, sort of youth and consulting. Um, we 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 have no offense to all of us, but we have we have a variety of ages represented here, right? And so there are different sort of aspects um, that you know I would think about um, you know as a as a Gen X. Uh, that you know, um, others might think about as a millennial or a Gen Z. Um, you know, differences between young males, young females coming into consulting, career paths, all of those things. I think it's an interesting topic, and so um, brought Ian on just because uh, you know we worked together um, a number of years ago, and it happened to be when he was one of these very young, very new consultants uh, in in the field, and um, you know, our, you know, always was kind of curious, like you know what. What did he think about you know what what we were doing? Like, did this make sense? You know, all those sorts of things. So, um, wanted to have that conversation uh, today. And um, so, you know, Ian, thanks for joining us. I'm glad you're here. I know it's you know pre dawn where you're at or whatever um, out there on the on the west coast. Um, but can you give us the like, what's the five minute thing on like why did you why did you like come out of college and be like, yeah, this is my career path. I'm going to be a consultant. How did that come about? Yeah, I know. Thank you, Chris, for having me on. Um, so I think the strange thing that came out of it was in my undergrad, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Obviously, my undergraduate degree in uh, hard science engineering wasn't going to be 
my future path. So during that time, I was like, maybe consulting was the generalist professional career that doesn't really have one consistent label. And I was like, oh, maybe I can do something new, do, do something different a couple of times, and then finally, quote unquote, figure out what my interests were professionally uh, in my career. Uh, the funny fact was I was going to join a consultant firm right out of undergrad, but then um, I decided to pursue my master's. And then after my master's, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm going to stick in healthcare. I'm going to work in a hospital, uh, try to run a hospital was my uh, ideal goal. But then I somehow circled back and was like, I don't think that's the right setting for me. So I'm going to go and explore different, you know, companies and consultant just came back again. I think the main thing that appealed to me, or at least a selling point that appealed to me and whether or not that's true, it's definitely up for debate was uh, you get to solve problems, you get to change your work, and you get to work with smart people. So for that, I was like, okay, I will give that a try for a couple of years. And then- No, no wait a second. Which one of those three did you think was maybe not true? <laughs> <laughs> I just want yeah. to know, taking notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, you do get changed the work you do quite a bit. Um, you do get to work with people who believe they are very smart and some of them have pretty big egos. So, uh, but I would say, I think those are the main selling points, right? They, uh, they try to give you the impression that there's this cross industry uh, flexibility and you get to learn a lot of things in quote unquote, someday this will make you into a expert of some sorts. But, uh, I, you know, yeah. I, I'm with you on, right. Uh, some, some of the, the, uh, the promises that are made, right. It's sort of the, the recruiting desk sort of thing. Did you, did, were you like, were you actively seeking a particular firm or a particular, you know, um, type of consulting or was that yeah. like, you know, career day and it's like, oh, I'm at the Deloitte desk. So I might as well go to that <laughs> one. Sorry. Sorry, Oliver. I, I know that, that Deloitte's in your background, but um, no, no, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't mention that. that particular oh, right. Right. Program. We'll cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think in terms of firms, it's always based off. I mean, it's silly, but everyone it's, it's, it's always based off rankings, right? Like no one knows what they're really getting themselves into. And there's online sources that give you like, here's, the most prestigious, here's the best ranked. And think at uh, Vanderbilt, they had a couple of the uh, uh, typical strategy firms there. And then at Carnegie Mellon, uh, given it has a technical brand behind it, which is actually really true based on how they train uh, almost all of their students, more of the tech consulting space was represented there. So tech consulting um, was a heavy uh, presence in Carnegie. So that, so then, I think that was how I kind of landed uh, because my undergraduate degree was engineering. And then they were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Even though my master's was in healthcare management. So um, tech consultant just became more of a natural fit uh, given how they saw my resume. Good old TC. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Technical consulting. Um, uh, so that's interesting. So, you know, I'd be curious, you know, if, if you had, you know, did you have a sense of you just said, you, we don't know what we're getting into. Did you have a sense of what, what was this kind of consulting that you were actually oh, no. joining? No, 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 no. Like there's like all these business units that they make up and all these groups that they make up, all these go-to-market teams that they produce. And you assume that 
it's going to be like an apprentice format where like you're paired with an expert, right? And that, and then through osmosis, you just absorb all of their knowledge and try to integrate their best practice and be that expert someday. Uh, I would say that has been in my, in my consultant experience has been more, more or less 33% of those experiences are like that. Uh, the other 66 seems more like I'm applying some critical thinking with another person who hopefully has critical thinking capabilities to solve a problem that both of us don't really have a good understanding grasp, grasp on. But the partner said they were going to sell the work and they said that we were the experts. So, <laughs> so I think that was more of the predominant experience that I have had. I think that's, um, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, that, that whole thing about, you know, who has the industry experience on this team, right? When you've got like five guys and girls that are, you know, 22 to 25, and then you've got, you know, the grizzled old hand at like 32, right? It's like, where's the industry experience that you promised me? Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that's actually strange is, um, in a very counterintuitive way, uh, I think one one of the questions he had was like young people entering the industry. I think that kind of alludes to, uh, do you recommend doing it again? And in a way, this experience I've had has been more or less of a patchwork of, you know, learnings, uh, some positive, some will be more constructive and maybe less positive. But in my professional pursuit of other careers, it always goes to three roles or three pools of, re, uh, of candidates that they always look for. Uh, consulting is always one of them. Uh, bankers, investment, uh, private equity folks is another. And then they usually look for uh, also some people with startup experience. So even though I would say my experience may not be the perfect match for future roles, it, does, uh, it, does, it, has, it has helped. Consulting has helped quite a bit in, uh, in applying to new things. So, um, I guess the broader industry does value people from this background. So, I mean, yeah, I've certainly got a question for Ian, but yeah, let's, let's, let's tackle the UK thing first. I think for a long time, the big consultancies were seen as like one of the destinations for un undergrads, you know, once they were graduating, that was kind of good grad programs, you know, um, and actually wider industry looked to, the Deloitte's, the PwC's, the EY's, KPMG's to, to almost change, uh, convert that raw talent that came out of university into a polished kind of consultant that was then hireable by them. So the, the, that, that was almost seen as, even if you didn't make it in the consulting firm, you would be seen as hot property, you know, on the, on the career kind of market as it were. So um, for a long time, that's been the case. I think that things have shifted a little bit more recently with, with perhaps not viewing that grad program as favorable and also the grad intakes not being as big. They used to be massive. They've kind of been pared down. But I guess my question for Ian is, is along the lines of what some of what I saw in the UK, and I just wondered if it's the same in the US, this kind of phrase up or out was, was a very big sort of thing. Like you either you either fitted into the culture, right? You either kind of got the billable hours game and how you kind of networked and, and made money for the firm and you were then promoted and rewarded for that, or you were kind of not actively, but sort of passively encouraged to kind of leave by the trapdoor and go and pursue a career elsewhere. Is that, is, did you sort of see that in, in, in the US or consulting industry as well? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I would say short, short answer is yes. There's definitely an up and out model, whether it's uh, passive or active, whether it's publicly communicated or uh, tribally known, uh, there is definitely an out and up model. Um, I think the whole, I mean, I would assume across uh, waters or oceans, the one of the consistent cultural quality of a consultant is that you're competing with your peers. You somehow prove to others that you're getting better so that you could lead and eventually sell more work for the firm. So uh, there's always that upward push. And I think um, for those who are a little bit of workaholic, it fits really well for their personalities. For those who maybe realize that their life is more than just their LinkedIn title, I think it takes a while for them to uh, unwire that, uh, that connection. And I've luckily have helped myself unwire that a bit more. But uh, to answer you shortly, there is an up and out model. Um, so. And did you realize that kind of going in or was that something you only discovered kind of partway through your journey? Uh, I went into that going in. I, I, I mean, I mean, for those, I mean, because no one really knows me except for Chris, I, I had a pretty cocky attitude going in. I think cockiness definitely helps yes. you with your interview. I can, as can, well. I can, I can <laughs> confirm that that was the case. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, I think in the interview process with all the rounds of behavioral, I think they do look for people, regardless of whether management or technology, people with a degree of confidence, because you have to present that confidence or that or convey you can bring value to clients, even though you may not have any knowledge, right? So I think I came <laughs> in a little bit cocky and I enjoyed, and I like working with smart people. I think competency, even now, competency is one of my biggest value drivers. So having this culture that had an up and out model, I would assume would, would have you know, kept the best people around you. Um, so I definitely wouldn't have known that. And uh, I definitely selected it. Whether or not that panned out, uh, that's TBD. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting the kind of yeah the, the 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 side effect I saw of that was you ended up seeing a certain type of persona oh, rising yeah. up through the ranks, right? And um, if you subscribed to that sort of culture and that sort of ethos, you you did well. If you tried to kind of so the reason I say it is my experience is having to introduce new things, introduce innovation. Uh, and that was, it was almost like the immune system kicked in because all, you know, what you're proposing isn't time materials, it's products and services, it's technology-based um, billing and all this sort of stuff. And um, so no, it was just, it was just sort of interesting to sort of get your take on that cultural side of things and whether folks go into it with their eyes open, but it sounds like you certainly did. So that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think I mean, this, this probably gets covered in one or more poll other episodes, but the personalities now are very different. I think when I left, um, you know, consultants or consultant firms were buying up, you know, you know, uh, you know, development shops, agencies, and there's definitely more, uh, there's definitely different archetypes of personalities. So when they try to merge and bring everyone together, I think now the pool is a little bit more diverse than when I first joined my first two years. The first two years I joined, I met very consistent types of people. Um, and I would say my last year and a half of staying with the firm and working more on product management, I met a fully different set of people as well. So, 
Ian, I would love your perspective on perhaps expectations. So, um, and, and you can correct any myths I have wrong here, but um, I, I understand that, you know, people in younger generations, you care more about life balance. You have more expectations about what's right. You want to find companies that align with your values, where you can live your values, make a difference. So do you feel like that is a factor in young people selecting consulting? Do you feel like once they get in the door, um, are young people changing the consult the, the consulting company culture, for example, better balance, or do you just sort of get in the mix and, and maybe your expectations are changed? along the way i hope people i hope younger minds do influence the overall culture of the consultancy and then maybe shift them or push them more forward i think there's always that tendency for a culture to kind of be somewhat of a laggard um, in terms of expectations uh I'm, I'm sure chen z would say something different i'm 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 definitely confident in that but i think expectation wise they People will still say that the reason why they join consultancy is that there is this perception of, you know, you're being paid for your performance, right? So I think that is still a consistent quality that if you do well, you will get paid better than your peers or better than whoever you're uh, working with. Uh, Work-life flexibility is definitely, I would say, a bigger um, driver for even now when I think about my professional development, where, where I want to be. Uh, understanding that my life is not my, it's not just my LinkedIn title, right? As I mentioned earlier, it's very important. Um, but the main thing I think people still, younger generations still choose to do consultancy is that I think there is that very strong brain or strong selling point of performance. And regardless of perhaps your uh, biological age, if you are smart, if you're good, if you get good reviews, if you can build relationships, you get promoted. And that's what people really, I think personally, that's why I still have a positive light on it. And I think a lot of people who do uh, pursue consultancies, they do uh, think the same way. I mean, it's just, it's an, it sounds like it's an interesting ride, but there's some point you decided to get on the ride. There's a point you decided to get off the ride. Talk to us about the transitions for you, right? When you're making, when you're, deciding in career-wise that you're going to go make a change, what were the driving factors for you? So the one thing that I would definitely say consulting has helped me, which I think may be a approach for other uh, younger professionals as well, is that you never really know what you want to do. And again, what you want to do is always a moving target, but being a consultant definitely teaches you what you don't want to do. So if you have stuck with the uh, job for a while, you've gone on a couple of different engagements, you definitely know what are all the projects or all the types of work that is not a good fit for your career. So for me, after going through you know, a couple of years of that, I've realized that what I wanted to do was, quote unquote, be in product management, be in the, be in the broader digital space, and I want to find a tech company. So that was the way that I kind of honed in on it. Um, in terms of like thinking about my next steps, what I would uh, say has helped me from being a consultant is definitely, you know, you are brought on to an organization to number one, you know, crunch quantitative information, but also be able to communicate that and talk to it and then make it into a slide format. 
a lot of companies value that a lot. So when I um, went and joined my second company at Uber, uh, that was something that they really valued. Uh, they valued the whole communication piece. Um, they valued my uh, understanding of operational excellence and having the right way of doing things or the right methodology. And I think that that was a really strong uh, skill set that I didn't realize I had until I went into an environment where I had highly, highly competent people around me, like way, way smarter, but their process or their way of going about it, even though we got to the same answer was just a little bit more haphazard than I would have thought. Um, so for me, uh, that transition was easier from just understanding how to plan, do my work and communicate my work. What was harder actually is the execution piece behind it because I was targeting technology companies. Um, so going from deck building and making slides and all those pretty things that are in my full uh, candor make-believe, right? It's just some things you draw, squares, boxes, numbers. Yeah. When you actually are on the line to fully live and breathe strategy to execution, that execution piece is huge. Right. Um, we used to create market assessments and, you know, a couple of months later, give it to the client, walk away. I did that for Uber and they were like, oh, that's great. Now I want you to SQL all the zip codes where we think we can get more customers and let's, uh, let's actually give them more promos. And I'm like, oh, and then, and then they're like, this is going to be done by next, next week. So just, you know, get that to us. Right. And then when you actually go from, decks to quote-unquote strategy to then implementing. That was the biggest piece. Like now you actually have to do the work and prove the results and back up everything you just said. That piece was uh, the newest piece for me. Was that scary? Yeah, I was very tied to my results. Um, it made me very cautious of some of the confidence I originally had in terms of my strategies that I proposed. Um, but it was scary at first. The value that I liked was seeing how connected end to end. So when you had a hypothesis, when you then try to prove it, and then you try to, you know, go and refine and improve and go on these iterations, I think after a few cycles of that, you realize, you know, everything does make sense from start to beginning. You just have to make sure what you do at the beginning. Um, isn't too far-fetched with some of your selling points, right? Don't inflate it too much. Definitely inflate it to sell it a little bit, but don't inflate it too much. So I think that that's, was... Yeah. That's fascinating, right? Because, you know, the people that have only ever done strategy have never done execution. You're right, right? They're absolutely like, of course it can. You just find an yeah. SAP guy and it's no problem, right? And it's like, wait a second, right? It's, it's, <laughs> if you've never done it, how can you sit right. there and say, you know, uh, it's an eight week implementation and, you know, it'll be no issue. Uh, that's really, that's a really interesting takeaway. I like that. I love Great. that point. And if you ever go back into consulting, now you have that experience and you have that credence behind that advice you give, you know what it's like to be on the other side. Yeah. Really cool point. Wendy, I actually had a question for you. You know, you know, Ian talked about uh, that cockiness and that sort of, um, leaning forward bravado, right? I know everything and I'm here to tell you, you know, I'm here from McKinsey and I'm here to save your day, right? That sort of thing, <laughs> right? Um, 
is uh, look, there are gender differences, right? When it comes to sort of this sort of thing and not to overplay that, but and I know we talked a little bit about this when we talked women in consulting, but what, what's your sense of sort of, you know, the, the need for that, the, um, you know, you know, how a, a young female consultant might, might attempt to do that or whatever, right? Like how do they, how do you deal with that? Oh, such a good question. You know, I think, um, and, and, and I love the way you've described this. I mean, this, this all really resonates with me too, but I think there's a DNA of a consultant, sort of the backgrounds we come from, um, the things that drive and excite us, the intellectual problem solving of it, the achievement aspect of it, and then coupled with, I can make really good money at this and build options for my future. Like, so I think by nature, you know, you're not going to have really unconfident people of, of either gender, you know, moving into this role. But what I do think is actually most important is, um, and this gets back to the idea of a mentor, but for women to be able to see um, seasoned women, executive women, because how they show up and how they um manifest that bravado and confidence and directiveness is a little bit different. Some ways work, some ways don't. So I think you got the DNA coming in, but you just have to figure out how to like funnel that in, in ways that really work, which a little bit different for, for men and women, I think. Sultan DNA. I think there's a book there. We should write. <laughs> there's always a book. I'm curious about this as kind of building off of where you were and Wendy talking about, you know, whether it's men or women, my, my curiosity is today is, you know, doing what you've done. You get it. We wind you back and you're 21 again. Would you do this again? I would, but I was shorten my tenure to two to three years max. I think that would be my, one change that I would uh, make. I think what I wanted to get out of it, obviously with hindsight now, I know what it is. It's that process mechanics. It's that intellectual rigor. It's that way of thinking to solve a problem. Uh, but I think there's value in industry in the sense that the execution piece or the deepening of your skill set to, to doing something it really doesn't come with creating slides, right? Like, or creating analyses or creating market research. It's really when you become an owner of the business. And when I joined um, Uber, they still had a very startup culture. So people were doing a lot of things, uh, even across their business unit. Um, so to gain all that insight, I think I should have shortened my stay at my firm a little bit because I think the last couple of years, I which is meandering around trying to get promoted, but not really um, learning much from it. Um, or right. So what you're saying all is um, <laughs> all you needed was to work on my projects and that's all. Yeah. You yeah. Pretty much. Nice. Pretty much. <laughs> Learned everything you needed to know. I get that. So let me, let me follow that up with just one more question. I want you to put your consultant hat back on mm -hmm. for just a second and say that you are a consultant hired by a consulting firm to say, how do we keep our best talent from rolling through this business on a two-year time frame, right? How do I make this job more interesting, more fulfilling? How do I make it, how, what would I need to change as a consulting company to keep people like you working there? 
Mm. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm full of them. Yeah, let me see. We'll edit out the pause. It's okay. Yes, it's <laughs> Phil's demonstrating the ego required to be an effective consultant. <laughs> Love it. Number one, there are times when you don't get to choose the engagement you're on that could last months, you know, beyond what you really want to do. And then people feel that they're stuck and that they're and this isn't adding to their quote unquote professional uh, war chest of skills, right? And they're just like, why am I here? Um, so I think selecting the work is always one of it and not having um, it be di dictated to you. And then other than, in addition to that, I would say um, there's, you know, there's up, I mean, there's been an upwave of digital upskilling. I think that is still a continuation of something that should be done at different, at, at various firms uh, in the way that they want to do it. It's, it's always valuable to teach someone how to uh, make things real or teach them harder skills so that they feel that they're learning something a little bit different versus just trying to craft a communication message. So I think those are the two points. Um, and then lastly, but I think it's, as you say, it's part of the DNA, the work-life balance, right? Like giving people incentives to take vacation, telling them that it's, it's okay, you know, not to assume everything that we say is like a top five priority that requires like a 30 minute turnaround. Right. I think right. that those, those, those are the three points, like selecting the work that you want to do, having them, having the ability to actually learn hard skills so that it doesn't feel like you're just doing the same consistent thing over and over again. And then lastly, uh, making sure there's, uh, making sure your, uh, younger staff perhaps, aren't burned out too quickly. Yeah. No, and, and I thank you for that. And the thing is, I'm not sure certain that that is a problem that's worth solving. Because I think one of the things you're showing us, right, is that there's just so much opportunity out there that you can choose your path through education and opportunities. What do I want to learn here? What do I want to make here? Where do I want my career to go? And you can jump in and out of that at will, frankly, at the moment, because it is, in fact, a revolving door. It's a very porous barrier between doing consulting work and being inside a client side. And if you decide you want to go do product management and hold on to something that you really like for a longer period, you can do that. But if you decide, I want to jump on a plane every week, I can do that too, right? Yeah. Oliver, Oliver, I got a question for you. Based, based on what Ian's been talking about, do you think then that the sort of the traditional management consulting or technical consulting sort of path, right? I come in as an, uh, an analyst or, and then, you know, I leave as a partner, you know, after 15 years or whatever it is, right? Is that dead? Is, is that, you know, diminishing? Cause I mean, what Phil's saying is true. I've seen people leave consulting, come back, pop in, pop out. This, yeah. this is like, you know, you know, the, the up to the right, you know, graph, you know, thing is maybe not, is it relevant? I don't know. It, it, do you know what? It was talked about a lot at the firm I was at relatively recently and there was a there was a degree of concern about is our is our operating model you know does it have longevity or to your point does it need reimagining and yeah, there is a degree of revolving door that's encouraged because th these firms like to have an alumni network that's in sort of influential places because it helps them win business and it you know, helps with networking and all that sort of stuff but certainly one of the, the one of the aspects i'd like to throw in the mix here is you know the days of it just being about the amount of time that you slog away and contribute on time materials 
uh, you know, that that is changing because there are targets within these firms now to shift from purely time materials work to a percentage, uh, you know, perhaps starting at the low single digits, 9% or up to sort of 20, 25% of work that's, you know, kind of services or annuity revenue based off of intellectual property that's, you know, it might be a software platform, it might be a data set or something like that that's provided rather than it constantly being consultants sort of billing their time. So the challenge that's introduced with that model, of course, though, is it's no longer about your kind of direct efforts. It's more about your IP. And the operating model isn't really geared up to encourage people to stick around because actually, if I come up with a good idea, uh, I can make a lot of money by, take, by taking that idea and going creating a startup, right? Or I can hope that the firm will recognize the fact I've contributed that IP to the firm and not run away with it. And they'll maybe eventually make me partner and maybe eventually I'll see some of the share of that great idea. And so this was the kind of real challenge that, that, that exists with innovation in these firms is it's no longer about just slogging your guts out anymore. It's about drawing on your network. It's about, you know, coming up with a, a clever data science model. It's about, you know, kind of building a service that you can sell to multiple clients or cookie cutter, rinse and repeat, because that's far more efficient and gets better profit margins. So the, the, these firms do have a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a kind of identity crisis in, in some respects, because if they want to push towards that innovative services model, some of the mechanisms they've used to kind of retain talent and promote people need to be reviewed. And this was what I was running into uh, at the firm was very much this sort of challenge of how do we continue to recognize people's contributions when they aren't the contributions of yesterday? Does that mean as a corollary that things like... Um uh, you know, the internal, you know, horizontal and vertical logic of a slide, right, of a slide deck, that that's take that's less important. It's less important to make sure that, you know, you have three bullets under, you know, one bullet and, you know, the trailing period is correct on 500 slides. Is it less important to do that? Is it, or is, is that, you know, well, we just, that's table stakes. You got to have that, but it would also be nice to have work-life balance. <laughs> I mean, I've interested in Ian's take on this, but my take is that, you, you have to better sell either yourself or your idea. And you're dead in the water if you can't do that. And you can't do that in a way that doesn't get the partners in the room cringing at your use of bullet points, you know? So you've got you've kind of got to fit in. And this is the struggle I always had was because I, I, I was an experienced hire. I mean, it was my second sort of stint in consulting. I did do a, a four-year stint at a specialist boutique consultancy before, but it was my first time in a, a large firm. And I, I realized very quickly that, people would pick holes in yeah your presentation style if you didn't sort of you know conform enough but at the same time i was there to disrupt i was there to innovate i was there to kind of you know encourage different thinking so i kind of needed to kind of fit in enough but not you know not provoke the immune system the immune response you know that would that would just get my idea sort of thrown out the window so it's it's a really interesting one but ian i'll be interested in your take on this one slides are important uh as as you mentioned um or the ways to take your very complex and multivariable or multidimensional idea, right? And putting it onto a 16 by four white space and having only enough words so that people don't get too bored and having the right visuals is important because you're trying to take an image and a selling point in your mind and visually depict that onto something. Uh, it has been very helpful in my other uh, uh, career um, opportunities after consultancies because I think that's why they value people from from consultant backgrounds. It's just that you can take abstract 
or other concepts and be able to convey that or sell that to someone else through shapes, through graphs, through numbers, yeah. through words. Keeping you, it really concise and tight, right? Like very, very tight. To the point. Yeah, because yeah. I've worked with engineers. I've worked with people exclusively for marketing. I work with creatives. It's very interesting seeing how all different types of people would approach the same selling point, the same message entirely differently. And you're just like, oh, wow. Now I understand the value of bringing in someone who, who is a consultant who tries to make everything as pithy as possible for that executive, quote unquote, uh, audience uh, who needs to hear that message. Oliver, I think this this thread is interesting. And Chris, your question around reimagining, because I mean, back to some of our other conversations around the shift in remote work. And I just think the world shift generally, this is underpinned by what's the currency? Do you rent my time or do you, you know, reward me for value? And to me, that's yeah. like the bigger thing we're all going to be struggling, you know, working through, right? And, and the other thing that's been explored by these firms is 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 borrowing ideas from the outside, like crowdsourcing. Like to Ian's point earlier about, I want to work on the things that I am interested in, but the firm just gives me this stuff. It gives me these audits that I just don't want to do, but I keep getting them because you know we've got lots of them to do, and I happen to match because my skills fit. One of the in internal innovations we were looking at was how we kind of match people's desires and, ca and career aspirations and personal development aspirations. With the work coming in such that we could kind of you know match people and this kind of co internal crowdsourcing concept was one of the ideas that was kind of floated around for a while um because if you're not careful you can kind of be trapped into just who you're talking to if you if your network is relatively small within the firm you'll only get you know the work that comes from that you know network and that referral that sort of happens internally so it's um and in a world where you know as chris was pointing out earlier folks aren't kind of, you know, meeting people in offices at the moment, new hires are coming in and working remotely. I really feel for those folks because you need to build a good network. There was one piece of advice I was given before landing in the firm was you need to build a good network. You know, you need to devote a decent amount of your time to building a network internally and externally in order to be successful at that kind of organization. And it's totally true. You know, if you're, so now imagine you're talking to an audience of young would-be consultants, right? So they're we'll just switch our video off so that that's more believable. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll turn all our videos off. You're talking to no, you know, so not advice, but it, you know, think I'm thinking through like, you know, what was what was the one thing you learned that you were like, holy crap, I didn't know this when I committed to this, you know, career. Um, and maybe that takes the form of, well, this was really amazing. I didn't know that I'd get a corporate credit card or I don't know, whatever. I'm just making this up. Right. Um, I, I didn't know that I could do like flex travel. Or I didn't know. I didn't know these things. And then on the flip side, it's like, Holy crap. I didn't know that I couldn't expense lunch. Um, whatever. <laughs> do you have, do you have a, like a best of and a worst of, um, kind of in your experience? Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't under really fully understand what it means to work in a team. And I think that is extremely useful in consultants um, experience working in teams in both good teams and bad teams and understanding that it's not about your individual marks because there are no individual marks or grades that's given to you, right? If you want everyone to do well, including yourself, you have to be a good team player and being a consultant, I think, helps you get that skill really refined. 
Um, cause like students, I mean, yeah, you have group projects, you have, uh, other things, but we've, we've always had like that one person that doesn't show up that one person that hijacks, you know, the presentation, the hijacks, the approach it's good in an academic world where there's no repercussions in the real world. Holy hell. If you do that, I will put you on my blacklist and I will make sure you're quarantined for life. Like I would never talk like as, as Oliver mentioned, I would never, if you ever reached out after the project, I would just give you the cold shoulder. Like that's a, that's a no, no. Right. Um, so being a team player and understanding what that means through these grueling and perhaps hard experiences is very, very uh, valuable and something I didn't quite understand um, going in. Um, definitely has helped me be more successful. Uh, in terms of maybe something that's more less positive, I would say I didn't fully understand the diversity of egos I would meet both within the firm and within the client side. And then I think that was a little bit challenging. And I think what I would recommend people who are younger professionals or students going to this, that's going to be hard uh, when you try to um, deal with a lot of personalities, especially people who think that they, uh, from their perception, deserve where they need to be at. And having the patience, which I think is obviously a quality of younger generations, you know, to always foster. Patience is really important. And it goes back to just like smile, understand how you need to politically act, but, you know, just be patient with people. There are some people you would meet that it's, it's a good learning opportunity for you just to get that tougher skin. So just be patient. I was about to say you learn how to grow thick skin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, all right. I think it's an interesting topic. I know we could talk about this forever, but um, what are some final thoughts? I don't know. Phil, did, did you have some final? We'll start with you just because that's where you are in my Brady Bunch uh, Zoom list. Thanks. You're welcome. That's reverse of alphabetical order. I think that's what that is. That's good. <laughs> I like that. I never went first when I was in school. No, I, I think this is just, this is very valuable, right? To see Ian's point of view, right? And to kind of follow that path and to show that all kinds of things are possible in your career. So if someone is, you know, on the leading edge of your career, but the thing is, even you're kind of mid-career and this is a thing you want to think you want to jump in and out of, you can jump in and out of this space if that's what you want to do. Now, he's also told you where some of the potholes are in that fabric and you or that road and you got to figure out, you know, are those things that I can easily navigate? Do I have the flexibility to be patient with people on a team? Do I have patience to deal with all of those kinds of personalities and things? So I think my advice would be that, uh, you know, listen very carefully for the lessons that Ian's kind of shared with us because it's valuable and it's current, right? I mean, any of us might have come at this and said, well, this is what it looked like 10 years ago or 20 years ago, depending on how old you are, what that is. But, you know, this is a current play and this is what it kind of looks like. And here we are in this moment. So I think this is still a great opportunity and there's lots to be learned here. So thanks for your time. Yeah. Final thoughts. Well, well first of all, I mean, I know it's sort of inevitable, but, um, you know, advice to work hard in the beginning. I find myself continually grateful for how hard I worked in the beginning 
I mean, I feel like I've like had a career and a half because of how much I've done. You just, it, it, it opens up so many opportunities later on when you want them. Um, and I think we've, we've reflected some of those things here today. The other is, again, I just have to, um, well said, Phil, and, and Ian, I couldn't agree more because my, my advice and takeaway is take control of your career and shape it. Um, I absolutely love how you're sort of going in and out of these different things. Um, and even if you want to stay in consulting, you can also work at different types of consulting firms, right? Uh, boutiques or startups, they give you all sorts of very different experiences on the, the end of the spectrum. But ultimately being someone who, you know, is, is still consulting today, um, what I looked like when I was young and, and what I do now, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's variations on the theme, but I wake up every day like I cannot wait because I get to serve the clients and actually make a big difference in their lives. And so, you know, we just get to steer these career however we want to and, and take, take a hold of it, switch it up. So, I mean, I guess my, my perspective is perhaps some advice for folks, regardless of whether they're, you know, a, a grad or a young, a younger starter or experienced hire is um, when you join one of these firms, you peel away the brand and you really feel what it's like. You, you, you get very quickly into the culture and you have to, as we sort of touched on just now, develop thick skin. You have to be patient. You have to kind of, you know, learn how to navigate and how to form relationships and network. And I think, you know, for, for, for me, one of the big sort of uh, eye-opening things for me was these firms are just the same as other companies in, in many regards. They're not perfect. As much as the brand and their marketing is very polished and very slick and the, the work that they do is often very well received, there are, there are a lot of challenges there as well. So go in with your eyes open. But then also there are opportunities there. Where is there an innovation opportunity because perhaps someone hasn't come in with your kind of experience or your your degree or whatever it is you've, you, you bring to the table. Um, so I think it's kind of, yeah, kind of go in, know, go in with your eyes open, know that they're not perfect uh, and, and learn how to kind of navigate the system or very quickly realize, like Ian said, it's a two year thing for you. It's an opportunity to get some great skills, some great experience and some great connections. And then you move on and you do the next thing that you want to do in your career. You know, I think, I think there's room here. Listen, uh, nothing against 100-year-old management consulting firms, but they may not be the most likely to adapt and change and become the kinds of places that people like Ian come out of school wanting to work at. And so I would say to those people, like, listen, it might have the most prestigious name. It might be on the, you know, the vault top 10, whatever place to work. Companies buy their way up those lists. We all know that, right? But so like ask some people that somehow you are going to give you the truth. Ex-employees are, are actually, some, you know, whether they were up, up or outed or whether they were, you know, whatever. But I think getting that, that feedback from people like Ian, right, that worked at, at, you know, one of these big strategy consulting firms, I think that's an important thing to do because, you know, maybe there's room for, uh, you know, a younger, newer style of consulting firm to come along and, you know, maybe those, maybe those people are in school now. So I don't know. Um, Ian, I'll, I'll give you the last word on this. So I would say there's value in pursuing a consulting career. I can definitely tell you from just a job market process, everyone still values someone with a consultant background. Has helped a lot. I see that bullet point stressed in almost 85% of the roles that are uh, up there for, you know, uh, leadership or other types of qualities. It's banking. 
it's consulting, it's startup slash tech. Those are the consistent uh, things. I would say for someone who may not know if consultant, if being a consultant is the final place for them to be, uh, just like any other career opportunities, come in with an exit strategy so that you can keep time or keep track for your time, right? So you don't stay in somewhere too long or stay in somewhere too short. Try to create an exit strategy when you join so that you can uh, not meander like myself. Um, but then lastly, uh, it's all about those relationships. Um, I would say that has been the true and tested uh, you know, advice that's been handed down from generations. Please maintain those relationships. They will be very useful, very beneficial. Um, and being a consultant definitely helps you uh, do, uh, do that. Awesome. Thanks, Ian, for joining us. Appreciate it. Good seeing you again. Uh, Phil, Wendy, Oliver. I'm Chris Lockhart. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Don't forget to, where's the bell? Subscribe and like. Subscribe and like. Here. Subscribe and like. Where it is. I don't know where it is. Um, uh, so thanks again. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> I need, That's why I don't know where it is. <laughs> but, you know, visit the website, consultantsayingthings.com, and uh, we will see everyone again soon. Thanks, guys.